on this episode of AV Week. We talk about IoT and lighting. When is a product lifespan too long? And when is a cloud not your cloud? These stories and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Ready. AV. AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 266, Ludicrous Speed, recorded September 30th, 2016. And welcome to another edition of AV Week, presented to you by AV Nation, the network by and for AV industry pros. I'm your host, George Tucker. Welcome to the show. Thank you for watching. We have a great show lined up for you today with some great guests. So let's get to them real quick. First off, we have Chris Box. He is from Extron. He is the uh, support manager there. How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you, George. All right. Uh, joining us, of course, also is Josh Shrago, editor-in-chief at AV Nation, among other things. How are you, sir? Doing all right. Doing all right. All right. You waiting for the 4.0 earthquake to keep predicting? <laughs> oh, that's warm enough. That wouldn't even get me out of bed. Yeah, well. You know, not much does. <laughs> also joining <laughs> us, our friend, Mark Coxon. He is from Milestone. He's a sales rep there. How are you, sir? I am doing awesome. Thanks for having me on this week. All right. And I think I get your title wrong, right? It's what are you again? I'm a, I'm a regional sales manager. Nobody regional knows what manager. I do. That's okay. Yeah, well, exactly. All right. <laughs> so let's start off with the news. These from our friends at Commercial Integrator, how IoT interest has changed the game for lighting control. All right, so we've been hearing a lot about IoT. Uh, Infocom did IoT Insights this week, in which I cast, of course, Mr. Shrago actually spoke at. Uh, we did a live periscope of it. Uh, he tried to scare the dickens out of everybody. He might even do it here. Uh, but to some of the first point, let's talk about some of this. Um, IoT, a flash, a flash in the pan, a fad, probably not. Yeah. Um, to Chris, I'm going to go to you first. Do you think... The, that the author here is right, that lighting probably is our first major in for the pro market for IoT, and this is the one that's going to make it happen? I hope so. It would parlay nice, nicely off of control systems that we make, for example. It reads in this article like we're talking about PoE being the only connection to these zones of lighting, which is great. We can have dozens of Ethernet conversations off a control processor as opposed to now where we have maybe a serial cable going into another box, which turns it into a different API, which controls things. So, yeah, I think that would be a natural progression. We've had, for example, Lutron Graphic Eye drivers for years and been talking to those boxes, but maybe now we just take it straight. So uh, let me ask you, though, the, the more dangerous question, as it were. Is there an argument against IoT? Uh, aside from struggle, hold your tongue. <laughs> um, is there an argument against it for any reason? Maybe some of the same naysayers against Nest that said that it opens security holes into your house and you could heat it up to 100 degrees and burn the house down. 
if it's not up to date and patched and this and that. I mean, what kind of bug hole are you opening when you attach anything onto the network? And another way around that might be to have two separate networks. Some of our control processors like the 555 have two NICs on there. So ultimately one could be for AV and doesn't reach the outside world. And the other is for the corporate uplink for you to get status on devices. But all right. Well, you know, one thing I'm going gonna... to skip over Josh just for a moment. Mark, uh, here's one of the questions I have though. Uh, IOT opens the door to a lot of other players, right? Yep. PoE and easy swappable that this is the things that say the real estate consortiums really want, right? They're looking for the ability to create say energy zones or mini cities where they control things. Here in New York, we have uh, co-op cities. They have their own power plant. They have their own infrastructure that allows real estate consortiums to sort of say, Hey, we're now controlling everything in that region and keeping costs down energy company. You're going to give us less, you know, lower cost pricing because we're buying as a group. Sure. There's two questions I have for you. Does that open up, an unfair advantage in pricing for people. And do you see that coming down? And does this eventually lead within the, I guess in the manufacturing side, that adage of all restaurants become, uh, what does it become, a Taco Bell? Are we, <laughs> are we really worried about that? So, you know, I think, I think there's a couple of things there. And I used to do some, some residential install. I, I know here in California, obviously we're concerned about energy here in California. We have brownouts and we buy our energy from everywhere else and we're broke. Um, you know, we have a lot of these initiatives, especially with the HVAC and things like that, where, but it's an opt-in. So, you know, in order to have that box on your house where the electric company can come in and turn your thermostat down or kill your AC during a, a time of high electricity. Flex use, alert. Yeah, it's a flex alert and you opt in and you get a discount on your rate. So, um, it would really depend on, I guess, uh, I guess the conditions or the, you know, the user agreement, right? It comes back to EULA on that whole yep. thing. If you're putting light bulbs in your house and the EULA says, hey, you have light bulbs in your house and these zip codes, then we have you know, the ability to come into your network and turn those devices down, off, or um, control or budget your usage, then yeah, it could be a, a huge, a huge issue um, as far as that goes. I think this, I think the lighting thing, when you're talking about Taco Bell, you know, there was a lot of buzz after Cedia about the internet of toys versus the internet of things. Right. Like a lot of people go out and buy these things and put them in their house, but they're really not an integrated system for them to be part of the Internet of Things. They all have to be interconnected and actually sharing data and helping each other manage to a goal. Right. You know, you know, putting four smart, you know, Hugh Phillips Hue bulbs in your house and that's thermostat doesn't mean you have an Internet of Things. You have five connected toys that all work on your app on your phone. And. You know, the Internet of Things, what it's done for lighting control, especially is, it, you know, like what Chris was saying, you know, if I never have to bridge two 32 zone chronoses together in a rate in a Lutron system again, you know, I'd be a happy guy. The IOT breaks that down for us and we don't have to now derate switches. We don't have to worry about where our mesh network repeater is for Zigbee or Z-Wave or any of those type of things. Everything connected to the network is on the network. It gets power over PoE. And now it can work with remote temperature sensors when the window starts to get hot to make sure the shades go down and you automatically start raising lights as shades go down and keep the building cool. I mean, I think that's the big picture, right? Which would make installers happy. They only have one cable and they're pretty good at RJ45s by now. And that takes care of the whole enchilada. In this article, PoE runs the LED bulb because it's yep. so efficient. I, I think the other big part of this article was that LED changes the game for... Right lighting in general is yep. that now that we have a 
we're not working with incandescent. We have an electronic device that we can actually get feedback from and stage um, reliably that that allows us to do these things that we couldn't do before with, you know, the uh, tungsten glowing orb hanging from the ceiling. So, And 70% efficiency improvement. Yes. All right. So we've waited long enough and I've <laughs> been very patient, Josh. Um, Mr. Shrago, you spoke at, uh, was it the IOT Insights from Infocom here in New York uh, about a, two, what, two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Your job was to, as I said on Periscope, to scare the bejesus out of all of us. Now, it's a, 30 minute, too. it's a 30 minute show. So I'm going to ask for your abbreviated version of why you think IOT would be good or bad. Give us both. So here's the deal. Um, and to be fair, it wasn't a matter of scaring the bejesus. Brad Grimes said it best in that I was the rain on everyone's parade. Um, <laughs> and that's, and again, it's, you know, IoT is this bright and shiny thing. It's amazing. We can walk into a room. The room reacts to us. We can have all of these things happen. I move in a facility. The lights turn up. The lights go down as I leave a room. The temperature adjusts. The music turns on. Music turns off. Displays turn on. Displays turn off. It's a completely reactive, as long as, as Mark said, everything is interconnected. Of course, if everything is interconnected, everything is interconnected. The, and that means that every manufacturer that is making an IoT device has to ensure that they're operating on the same platform, has to ensure that they're operating with APIs that communicate with one another, mm-hmm. and what comes with those APIs is, oh, oh, that's right, data. So now every manufacturer that you've put up there, let's call it a dozen manufacturers in your home for electronics, just to make it a nice round number, now has to make sure that they're patched for every single instance of what could come up. Could you have an isolated network for it? Here's why Chris is wrong. No. Why? Because it has to reach out to talk to their head end. An IoT network doesn't work unless it's reaching out beyond your LAN. So yes, if it's only talking to something like, again, in this case, the LED lighting, it's you're just your app to your lights. That's fine. But the intent of IoT is that it's automatically reaching out to a world beyond your isolated world. So with that instance, you can't isolate the network, which means you're automatically opening up gateways for security issues. It's hard to patch that. And I believe recently I had a manufacturer in here who uh, introduced a video over IP solution. And I asked, well, is it encrypted? And the answer was, well, we believe that that's most important for the network. And I couldn't hold my tongue. And the answer was just, no, no. You need to be encrypting data, period. So what kind of encryption key are you utilizing? And then as soon as you introduce encryption on a single piece of IoT, is that IoT encryption able to communicate with other pieces of IoT? And now we're running into this whole world of just, are these devices going to function while still keeping us secure? And that's where you run into the main slide from my presentation, which is more convenient versus more secure. The more convenience you want, the less secure you're going to be. It's just, it's a matter of fact. There's, right, there's so- no way you're so th- that point taken, that leads to a bigger question, actually, that you're touching on. Uh, Chris, I'm going to ask you this question. This means that we start to become data managers. Sure. Does it not? Um, things like Overseer from Wattstopper uh, or uh, the associated things like that. Or um, I know I use a lot of Unify in installations that we talk about in which I have oversight of all of the Wi-Fi systems I ever put in. This means that we can actually notate, not just for the learning aspect of the system, knowing when you turn lights off, when it's too hot, when the sensors know to put the shades down, 
uh, when you come home, that kind of stuff's pretty average, but it does mean that we start to be able to gather the information of knowing your habits, knowing your trends, yep. which means not only like Google, can we say, Hey, you're always coming home trying to watch the TV. We can uh, interest you in a sling box to, so you can see it from your hotel because we're seeing yeah. that you're trying to log in. That's a dangerous proposition. Are we ready as an industry and as integrators, the mom and pops and even the big ones to take that task on? I hope so. Uh, evolve or die, right? We've been doing data collection for years with things like Global Viewer Enterprise. And the best example I can give for that would be people trying to decide as building owners what's more important to spend money on because they've got 100 rooms. They're not going to upgrade all of them simultaneously. Which rooms get used the most for the longest by these number of people and which devices within the rooms are being used the most? We can actually go down to that level. Are these projectors being left on all the time for places that they haven't put a flat panel in yet? So this is, I think, just the next level of that thinking. Where's the smartest way to spend my money so at least I get the biggest bang for buck so I don't just go out and do everything all at once? I was going to say, can you imagine as an integrator having to send out that email to, you know, a thousand customers that you have that said our security has been breached and this amount of data may be compromised based on what's in your building? I mean, that's what I don't think they're ready for. I mean, I don't think the big guys are ready for that, right? They don't know what to do. Talking about it getting pinned on the equipment we put in being the portal that the leak. Exactly. I mean, we can't, we can't just set up a back, we can't just set up a back door and say, I am Batman to let people in, you know, guys get in trouble for that. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, you know, but it's, I'm joking. It's just a prominent example, but it's, it's the truth, right? All of a sudden now, you know, as an industry, as an integrator, as an integrator who does $5 million a year and does 10 big jobs, are you ready to have to send out those legal emails to your customers saying that this kind of data has been breached when our server got hit at our office? Well, and, and on top of that, it adds a new layer of complexity that the integrators and consultant community, I would argue, aren't ready for, which is now we have to have a certain amount of legalese as to we're going to specify the specific product. What data are we saying the manufacturer, like Extron, who's been collecting data, is going mm-hmm. to have access to? Yeah. Uh, if you're doing, if you're doing, uh, and again, I go back to a specific instance of a manufacturer offering a Bluetooth uh, location solution, and I've requested several times saying, what data are you saying you have access to? And I found out uh, one of the things that said was calendar. They have access to calendar to dictate where you're supposed to be for those meetings so they can help you out. Well, if they have access to your appointments, guess what else they have access to? Who else is in that appointment? And product proposals That's, and who knows what else. Exactly. So this, this gets into as integrators and, manufa- and man, uh, as integrators and consultants, we have to start protecting our clients from these devices that are trying to rip off the data and are trying to gain access to that data for their own means, which we have zero control over at this point in time. Yeah, all right. So let's move on to something that's related, but what is the lifespan of these products? And there's an article in EE Times, the guys from the Electrical uh, Engineering Union guys, uh, long living products defy conventional wisdom. Now this article goes on to talk about uh, two specific products, one the Boeing 747, and one is a legendary, legendary, and a, the, and a metering system, uh, some kind of oscilloscope system that far outlasted its lifespan uh, in general. But it poses the bigger question, really. Uh, when is a long life product detrimental, not just to the client, but 
to the industry or the manufacturer who made it. And we all try to say our stuff is rugged, it's robust, yeah. it will last forever. Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you since you're a manufacturer and this is one sure. of those you have to deal with. Uh, you make a product. We know that like Extron has things that have been out there 20, 25, 30 years that are still working. Right. But is that a detriment that it can work so well? Regardless, that's the wrong word. Regardless of the idea that it can't upgrade some more modern techniques, where does that leave us? Well, sometimes it leaves us with a guilty conscience because we've got a perfectly working product that's just obsolete. We take a look at HDMI, for example, which is currently in 2.0B, but there's been 1.4, 1 1.3, 1. whatever preceding it. And inevitably, two years after you get it, if you're caught up in the cycle of you want to have the latest and greatest to hook up anything on planet Earth, then you have a limiting factor at that point. Your home stereo is another example of that. Mine's 1.4 at home. So if I bought a new UHD player for Christmas, I would want to get the Oppo that's got two connectors on it so I could put one to the amp and one to the TV. But anyway, when you sell, like we do in some cases, fixed design switchers, we'll talk about a DTP crosspoint, for example. That could be an 8-in, 2-out. It could be a 10-in, 8-out. It is what it is. It's fixed out of the factory. It doesn't change size, and it doesn't get upgraded to a new HDCP version from one thing to the other without silicon change. That is an example of something like a stereo that'll eventually be behind in technology, but it could work for forever and still function 100%. If you get something that's modular, something like an XTP2, for example, that you put blades in, that's forward thinking and future ready because it's got a 50 gig backplane on it. So who's to say down the road we don't make another board that's faster for a new flavor that is totally modern and has HTCP2.2 today, whatever the next thing is down the road and the next HDMI standard and so forth. So if you go down that road, your future's bright for longer, but in other cases, you pay less, you get something that's fixed, then you could wind up in that situation you speak of. Josh, I'll put this to you. You do a lot of system design and consulting, you know, and the client's going to expect it to last forever, aren't they? Or is there a, a, an anticipation by the client that they know it's going to have to be replaced in two, three, five years? Is that sort of paradigm changed? Uh, it depends on the client. Uh, I mean, I think most people accept that certain items will have to be there, uh, will have to be replaced over the course of time. There will be a generational gap. There will be an evolution in technology. I mean, look at the fact that uh, certain technologies are constantly being declared dead uh, and that we have to evolve beyond that. Uh, or look at the fact that, you know, some people just don't want their, their technology to have to force a handshake. They want something that's just going to automatically work together. The good old analog days. Mr. Coxon and his, his, his hatred of handshaking. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you see that kind, of, that kind of change. But at the same time, you know, it's like Extron, you know, Chris talks about the longevity of Extron products. They got nothing on Toa. You know, my years at the Toa days, it's like I used to walk into places and there were silver amps that were there from when I was like four years old. Those things would ever die. And uh, I had a man, I had a rep at the time that used to say that when, when the apocalypse comes, it's those amps are going to be They'll floating be left. down the lava. The, the, the amps are going to be floating down the lava flows with cockroaches going, well, at least we have a boat. You know, that's what's going to be there. And they will still be powering whatever's around them. Right. And that's, so there is this whole, we want to put in a product that we know is going to last, but it's also application specific. 
a corporate environment is going to refresh at a lot faster rate than a higher education environment. Environment, a a lower a K through twelve environment is going to refresh much slower than a house of worship environment, and all of these different environments. So it becomes a picking the right product for the application of if you know that client is is going to refresh product on a regular basis, you pick something that is going to suit their needs today and that will evolve for the next few years up until the refresh. But when they hit that refresh, then you know you have that conversation with them up front. Are we going to want to design a system that is a ground up rebuild? Do you want to have forklift upgrade or do you want something that's an evolutionary upgrade? And that has affected the way that systems are designed constantly because you start to see new buildings that might not be as reliant on putting in copper for their video uh, for their AV distribution. Maybe they're starting to put in fiber because mm -hmm. they see the direction that AV distribution is going. They see the the need for 4K and the need for bandwidth and all of those things that come up. So if you're doing due diligence on new builds, that might be that might change the conversation entirely. So it's really very project specific that you also have to deal with budget. So if you're going to put these things in, what's the budget available to it? So the longevity is it, the longevity of the projects is great. We would love to see products that last forever. Uh, but at the same time, as a product lasts forever, that does damage a, a, the income of a manufacturer because they need a refresh at some point. Otherwise, they go out of business for having no sales. All right. So, Mark, you work as a sales rep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, longevity, durability, the product quality is something very important. Uh, but given where we're heading towards the whole IOT conversation we had earlier, the idea that Apple and its homeworks are trying to put out stuff that you will sort of now collate those disparate apps into one sort of platform ecosystem. so you have them right there, an ecosystem plus the platform so you're not flipping between uh, different uh, icons on your iPhone, you're actually going to one place. Uh, does that mean that we're headed towards a disposable manufacturer of industry here? Is, is that really where we're headed? Um, you know, I've heard people make that argument, and I don't, I don't know that we're headed towards disposable on the commercial side because, uh, you know, a lot of these consumer goods really don't hold up to the wear and tear and rigors of, you know, eight hours a day daily use or 24-7 operation or all these things that we see in some of our environments, right? And we even see that now with the difference between, um, a, you know, a commercial-grade PC versus, you know, running a little iMac or whether we see... Uh, you know, a, a consumer monitor from Costco yeah. hanging on the wall versus a 24-7, you know, NEC with redundant power supplies and fans. So I don't know that we go to disposable because the, the spaces are, you know, more demanding than what a consumer good would, even though consumer goods are trending towards that, I think. Um, I think, you know, to answer the, the bigger question of when does it become detrimental, it becomes detrimental the minute you start, you keep doing it because it's the way you've always done it versus the way that's best to do it now. And I think that's the way it becomes incremental. And, and so for me, for me, or detrimental, sorry, not incremental. For me, you know, a good example, I, I used to work with a company called Elon Home Systems, you know, when I was doing residential and Elon, you know, everybody was starting to push into an IP based control world. And, you know, and the long guys were like, hey, we really like this serial control stuff. I don't think IP is really going to take off. So we're just going to stick here for a while. You know, and that didn't work out too well. Eventually, they had to they had to move into that space. Um, you know, on the article itself, I would argue that the the guts of the 747 have probably changed drastically since the 1960s. So you're not really yeah, the same, same plane. Um, so the longevity of yeah, maybe it's the same body, 
the same shell, but the guts are different. But I'll tell you, even with my, uh, my dad, he worked at McDonnell Douglas Helicopter Company, which is now Boeing, where they make the Apache helicopters. They still have rooms that run production equipment that have 1.4 meg reel-to-reel tapes Perfect. running production oh my equipment. God. So, you know, do you need to upgrade that? You could do it on, an, you could do it on a processor smaller than what's in an iPhone and, and, you know, off of a little flash card, right? You don't need a, a, surplus. a cabinet with 1.4 meg reel-to-reel. The thing is, it, it works, yeah. and there's no reason for them to change it, and it's not detrimental in any way to their process. So long lifespan is, only becomes detrimental when you do it that way because you want to keep doing what you've always done. So and let me ask the question then. Um, Chris, as a manufacturer, we mentioned that you got you know, gear that's been out there for, for a long, long time, and it still functions just fine for what it was intended. Uh, but what happens to some of that gear when finally we want to get rid of it? And we want to do that. What do we do with that gear? We do have a sort of residue social and social conscience. Yeah, social conscience. What do we do with that? How do we get rid of some of this gear, and what can we do about that? Most people put it on eBay for starters and hope that somebody <laughs> will snag it up for a song. Maybe it's cheaper than repairing in some cases. You know, if you sell it for that much of a song, but in other cases, you recycle it or e-cycle it. Extron has a product recycling program on our website for that system eight from 1989 that's finally uh, putting out to pasture and you're moving on to something digital, for example, where you fill out a form and we'll take it back and recycle it for you. Uh, obviously in Orange County, there's other options too. For example, there's a place that's right by Fry's and right by the 91 freeway and I show up with my old computer gack from all the people that I've fixed their problems and they just take it out of your car for you. It's great. You don't even have to get out, but, uh, something like that, hopefully, because uh, it gets to a point where people just aren't using VCRs anymore. I have a guy that does work for Santa Clara university and he bought a pallet of DVD VCRs while he still could at 300 bucks a piece. And he's still selling it because they're still putting them in every so often. They just have that VHS tape from, 1982 that they can't get in print any other way and we still have to have a scaler in there for that and that's okay but in other cases there's stuff like we pull out a full rack and a half worth of analog coax gear equipment and it gets replaced with something that's a quarter the size that does more as a huge mountain of gack that they have to round up and get recycled somewhere Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's good to see that, you know, at least there's some kind of plan and some people are actually paying attention to it. I know it's something that the industry is still looking at. I know the uh, uh, Midori has always been on that about, hey, how do we green our industry and make sure yep. beyond saving energy, we actually know what to do with this old stuff that we rip out. Sure. Uh, it's, it's a serious uh, consideration. Uh, let's get to our last story then. Uh, something that touches on some of this, it's, how do I explain this? Oracle says that they will provide you a cloud system that stays on premises. But here's the kicker on that. And of course, this is uh, from our friends at the register. Uh, here's the kicker on this. But it's on your premises, but you pay a subscription fee to Oracle. So you're on your own property, you own the equipment, but you really don't. And if you don't pay the rent, they can turn it off even though it's on your property. <laughs> back to sort of you're yeah, right well it's a subscription model the thing is like we've gone from the thin client the you know only a, a terminal 
to having full-blown systems back to server systems where we're back to what they now want to call thin clients, which is really just terminal systems or smart terminals, as, as the phrase went these days. Uh, you know, Josh, let me start with you. Where are they going with this? And is this a viable thing that as a business, not the one providing it, but as a business, has some value that we really are missing? I don't see the value in it. So here's, here's the thing here is basically what this is doing is it's eliminating the key point of failure of a cloud system. <laughs> the key point of failure of a cloud system is access remotely if a network to the outside world goes down. So then they bring it on-prem and you don't need to worry about reaching this outside server system. You know, the thing we normally just called a server on-premises. <laughs> um, and I get it, you know, the thing, the thing, the questions that, I, I mean, there's so many questions that this just evokes is, okay, so the whole point of the cloud system was to be able to provide additional storage, additional capacity, additional resources that you didn't have to manage yourself. So is this a percentage of what you're doing of a cloud system that's going to be on-prem for vital files? Is this the whole thing? Most recently used. Yeah, it's how, how are they dictating what's going to live on-prem versus what's in the cloud system? You know, the, these are the kinds of questions that I sit here and I go, oh, a visionary of turning back the clock, kind of, but not really. The Matrix I, is telling you the steak is juicy, Josh. Oh, yes. but I, me and my red pills. Um, so <laughs> it's just how it goes in terms of what the hell. Uh, pick, a, pick a direction that we want to go with this. So... Is there value to keeping on-site servers? Yes. Is there value to these subscription services? Yes. Should your subscription service be located on your premises? Why? You're paying for real estate. You're paying for BTUs. You're paying for the electrical that goes with it. You're paying for all of these things. And now it's something that you don't manage. So if it goes down, you actually can't service it yourself. <laughs> like there's just, there's no, I, I, I get the one fail point in the cloud system that this solves, but at the same time, this is stupid. <laughs> Let us know when you come to a conclusion. Yeah, I know. Really tell us how you feel, Josh. I really, you so, hold back too often. I really think you do. All right, Mark. Uh, yeah, so jo Josh hit on it right there. And, you know, they can, they can spice it up however they want. You know, the article says, hey, private cloud allows us to put this on-prem for people who aren't comfortable moving their workloads onto a public server yet or onto a server that's out in the cloud, right? Um, to Josh's point, the cloud always meant somebody else's computer, right? I mean, that's what the cloud was. And now that you have these on-premises, that's really not anybody else's computer anymore. So really the only thing that still makes it the cloud is the application interface, the way that you're going to save things, the way that you're going to access things, and the workflow that you're going to use, files, load files, put those files on. And then when you do move to the cloud, to the, the main cloud off-prem, you are already familiar with those workflows and that's the efficiency that they're talking about there for people who are maybe in that, in that mindset, but have no doubt. This is the reason. And Josh nailed it. He just didn't know he nailed it. This is like what Josh always does. He makes brilliant <laughs> points and doesn't know he made them. Um, so, so winning it, you don't even know it. The, whole thing. the most expensive part about running the cloud is keeping the servers cool and in a building and powered up. So what do they do? You keep the servers cool. You keep them in your building. You keep them powered up, and you still pay us the subscription for access. That sounds great. You offload all of your major costs. The major cost of running a data center is HVAC, and you just got rid of it, right? That's the major cost. 
And Oracle has just found a way to trick you into letting them put their servers in your building and pay you for them saying, oh, look, you're now more secure because you're doing these workflows on your LAN. Or maybe if the main line goes out, you still have access. But you could do all that yourself with an IT guy and a box full of servers. You, so, know, you know what this reminds me of? Do you remember the Saturday Night Live thing with um, Dan Aykroyd? He did one of the um, uh, imitations of the cable, early cable TV ads where he said, you know, come to Bob's Meat Market. You choose your cow. You slaughter it. You cut it. You bring it home. You know, off of Route 12. Come enjoy the experience. <laughs> like, he just, like, it was the same thing, isn't it? He just cut out the middleman. Yeah. I'm going to provide your cows. You do all the work, and you're going to pay me more. <laughs> sprinkle a little glass half full, and I go out on a limb here, and I say that for stuff that's not cold storage, that it would be nice to have a buffer where you could get ludicrous speed or maximum plaid speed because my concern is always the pipe that you have to whatever is off-site. I want to download this right now, thank you very much, and the faster the better, whether I need it now or not. And for that to always have to go through my WAN uplink means I've got to have a pretty fat pipe, and people that I talk to up at the Bay Area tell me that's a non-issue at this point, but I still wonder out loud when we're talking terabytes of data or more, that that wouldn't just be an effective way to reduce your footprint through that pipe. So let me break out my saw to cut off your limb. Uh, <laughs> basically what it boils down to is what data do you need at that kind of speed? Everything. At that efficiency, besides the fact that you want it. I mean, you're, we're talking 90% of the things you're just going to be pulling down data files, pulling down Excel spreadsheets, pulling down general things that people work on. They don't need ludicrous speed. Well, we don't need 4K UHD either in many cases, but we want it, don't we, in some cases? <laughs> better, is it not, in some mm -hmm. cases? If I can get the file in 0.1 seconds. Now, let, let, let's be clear here, because I'm going to throw this back to Coxon in a second here. Are you referring to UHD or 4K? Because you've used both, <laughs> and somebody's about to get smacked with math. They are not one and the same. We can have that conversation, but they awesome. are Thank germane to my point. Thank you, Chris. Uh, actually, I'm going to cut this off because we've actually hit our limit of the time, and I think I have the makings of another AV crosstalk right here. <laughs> uh, the question is, really who's good... moderator? <laughs> I, 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 oof, I don't know yet. Um, I don't think of somebody. All right, so uh, thank you, guys. It's been a lively conversation, really good stuff going on. I always enjoy having this group on. Uh, I want to thank our guests for being on. They are, of course... Mark Coxon from Milestone. Thank you very much, sir. Where can they find out more about you? Um, I am at avphenom on Twitter, or if they want to go uh, visit my employer, they can go to milestone.com. Cool. And of course, Josh Frago. He is the editor-in-chief at AV Nation. Where else can they find you, sir? Uh, on Twitter at J-S-R-A-G-O, LinkedIn. Occasionally, I do still write for soundreason.org, commercial integrator, and soon you will find me in your inbox if you are a CTS as I have thrown my flat cap back in the ring to uh, join up for the steering committee yet again and see if I can't get reelected to keep pushing certification forward. You're a masochist. That's all I got to say. <laughs> and of course, last but not least, Chris Bach from Extron. Thank you, sir. Where can they find out more about you? They can find out more about me from the out-of-the-box training videos that we have for various products that we make on Extron, and they can find out more about Extron on, obviously, the website and LinkedIn and Twitter and all that, too. 
cool. So to end this up though, one recap here. We are on the very cusp, hours away from the annual AV month. That is the celebration of the AV industry. Uh, it's a really wonderful thing. Lots of organizations do all kinds of outreach. Here on AV Nation, we want to hear your voices and we are attempting to do our 31 and 31, which is essentially 31 posts in 31 days. I think we're gonna beat it this year, but it's an opportunity for you guys to submit your voices. Uh, we're writing lots of stuff. We're coming up with some creative ideas, but we wanna hear what you're doing, whether it's about what you're doing, about what you think about the AV industry, all of those things. You can contact us at Josh at AV Nation TV. That's our intrepid editor-in-chief there. Or just send any of us a word and we'd be happy to get you on. For AV Nation and my guests, I want to thank you for watching. This is a production of AV Nation TV. You'll find this show and many more like EdTech and Connected, the IoT show. Shows about residential installations, Resi Week, this one AV Week, and many more at avnation.tv. Check us out. And while you're there, we have underwriters who help keep the lights on for us and get us to the show so we can cover the news for you. It'd be great if you could stop by that page, stop by them and say thanks. I'm sure they'd love to hear that you appreciate it. Again, for everyone here at Aviation, I'm George, and I look forward to speaking again to you.